If you'd like to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we will be looking at the parable that's recorded for us here in Luke chapter 12. We are continuing our series of looking at our Lord's parables. Um, these last um, set of parables we're looking at deal with our citizenship in the kingdom. And last week we looked at uh, the parable of the friend at midnight. And we made the application there about it was uh, this one's persistence that led his friend to get up at midnight and open the door. And so the lesson that we draw there is, is being persistent and being persistent in our prayers and, and being persistent in our spiritual life. This week, we're going to look at the parable of the rich fool that's recorded for us here in, in Luke chapter 12. And, and this is another occasion where our Lord is questioned by someone. And he takes the opportunity to teach a lesson that's much greater than just the answer to the question. And we'll also see that, as is often the case, and, and often the points that we make here in these studies, is that the circumstances surrounding the parable are important. And understanding and, and truly uh, getting the full meaning of the teaching, it's important to look at the circumstances, the setting that the parable is being taught in, and that's the case here um, with this parable. So let's look here in Luke chapter 12 at the parable of um, the rich fool. Again, another uh, parable that's, that's uh, familiar to us. Uh, one that has a very powerful meaning, as is the case with, with all our Lord's parables. But this one is um, one that, that really rings out. And I think we can make the application in our own lives very easily. So let's look here, beginning of verse 16, and we'll read the parable of the rich fool. It says, uh, verse 16, and he told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for you for years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We're introduced here in this, this parable to a wealthy man. And he's wealthy because the land that he owns, the farms that, that he um, tends to, the land there is very productive. And so it, uh, it yields crops to him, and he needs somewhere to store it all. And so he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to, since he's having so much come in on the harvest that he's going to tear down the barns that he has and he's going to build new, bigger barns to store all the things that are coming from the harvest. And so he is pleased with his own plans, which is a point that we'll make about this parable and one of the central themes to this, that he's pleased with his own plans. And he tells himself to take it easy. He tells himself to enjoy life 
and that he has stored up for himself things, many things for the years to come, and he'll be able to take it easy. He'll be able to enjoy life, not have to worry about what's coming. But there's a problem in all this. And the problem is that his life is required of him this very night. In other words, you're going to die today. The Lord comes to him in this parable and says, You fool, don't you know that your life is required of you this very night? God asks him, says, Who's going to inherit all these things that you've stored up? Who's going to own the goods that you have put aside? You spent your life in these barns and building bigger barns. And tonight you're going to die. And what's going to happen to those things that you've spent your life, your toil and your labor, and putting aside? Who's going to own those things? And Jesus makes the point in verse 21 that this man is not rich towards God. Because he has spent his time putting away riches on this earth. And in so doing, he's neglected storing up treasure for himself in heaven. He spent his time and his energy putting away things in this world. A simple teaching. Powerful few verses here. What's interesting, like I said in, the, in our introduction here, is, is the surrounding, the, the setting of what's going on here as Jesus tells the parable. So if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 12, it says there, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all. So here's the scene here. There's a large crowd that's gathered, so much that they're, they're stepping on one another. They're tripping over each other. And Jesus begins speaking this, and it says that he begins speaking to his disciples first, telling them to beware of the hypocritical Pharisees. There's actually quite a bit that he says there from verses 2 all the way through verse 12. He talks about the hypocrites of the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He tells them also about fearing God. He says, don't fear the one that can kill the body, but, also, but fear the one that can kill the body and also condemn that body to hell. But he's talking about God, the Father. And he tells them also at this same, in this same discourse here that God knows us so well that even the hairs on our head are numbered. And he's going to pick that up after the parable, but I wanted just to, to mention that here in understanding the love that God has for each of us. It's not that he knows how many hairs are on our head, and for some there's more than others. Right, Larry? <laughs> but not only the, that are they numbered, but, or, or does he know how many, but they're numbered. So he can, this is one, this is 5,062, this is 4,102. That's how well our God knows us. And I'm always struck by that. And not only does he know how many hairs we have, but they're numbered. He knows which each one is. So here we have the picture of a God who's severe, who brings about judgment to those who are disobedient. But we also see the picture of a loving God, a God that loves us so much that the hairs on our head are numbered. 
That's how intimately he knows us. So he tells them several other things in this, in this discourse as he's speaking here. But it appears from the text that he's speaking to his, to his closest disciples, because it says back there in verse 2 that he began saying to his disciples, first of all, and if you come down to verse uh, 11 and 12, you'll see that these things are really applying to, to his apostles. And they bring you before the synagogues and rulers of authorities. Do not become anxious on how what you will speak in your defense or what you shall say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This goes along with the promise of the Holy Spirit that was going to come upon his apostles and lead them into all truth. So I believe this is his very closest inner circle that he's speaking to. But someone in the crowd asked him a question. He asked him to divide his inheritance with his brother. We talked about inheritance this morning in our study and talking about Esau, how he sold his birthright. Here's, there's this, here there's this one in the crowd who, who asks of the Lord to be an arbiter. And it seems that the man is, is, is either one of two things that, that I can surmise from this. Either one, he's not interested in what the Lord is saying, because it seems like he's almost interrupting. Or maybe he can't really hear him because of the crowd. We, we mentioned that there was a, a lots of them, thousands it says here, and there were so many that they were stepping on each other. So I can see a possibility that he can't hear what the Lord's saying and there was commotion going on. So he just interrupts with this question. But either way, we see this man interrupting our Lord to ask him a question and really about worldly things. When Jesus answers him down there in verse 14, it says, But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? The very way that he addresses this man, I think, lends uh, us to understand what Jesus thinks about being interrupted at this time. When he addresses him as man, this is not the same way that we might say man today. I say this a lot. How you doing, man? Man, it's good to see you. It's not really the same way. We use that kind of as an endearing term today. In this time and in this culture, this wasn't really used in the same way. It was used as a, uh, as a very um, formal way, if you would, a very way of just saying to someone, I, I, I recognize that you're a man, I recognize that you're a woman, but that's about it. It was a way of isolating him, a way of letting him know that he wasn't really interested in his problem. And we can see that from his answer, who made me judge or arbiter over you? much more important things that the Lord's dealing with than dividing up this family's inheritance. So he says here to the crowd in verse 15, he says, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So here we have this question that's being, answered of our, that's being asked of our Lord. And he answers and tells them, to beware of being greedy, to beware of greed. And he says that his life does not, that a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Isn't that a, a wonderful way to think about our life? Our life doesn't consist of our possessions. It doesn't consist of our bank accounts and what kind of car we drive and what kind of house we live in. 
It's not what our life is about. So now he set the stage for the teaching of, of this parable. And if we see it in that context, it gives us a little more insight into this rich man, doesn't it? It seems that this man that he's talking about in this parable, this rich farmer, was a greedy man. He was relying on the things of this world, on, on, the, on the harvest of his crops, to store those things up. And then he says, soul, rest. Now you, you're okay now. You can rest. Eat, drink, and be merry. After the parable, Jesus returns to the discourse that he started with his, with his disciples. If you look there in verse 22, it says there, And he said to his disciples, so we have... Uh, a couple of different audiences here that he's really looking at. He starts by talking to his disciples. The man asks him a question. He addresses, it seems that he addresses the crowd at large. And then in verse 22, he comes back to where he left off talking to his disciples. He says there in verse 22, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, as to what you eat or, what your, or, or your body, as to what you shall put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they do not sow nor reap. They do not have storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot even for the very thing, why are you anxious about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, even Solomon in his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself purses which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is continuing in the and the thoughts that he had about how much God cares for his children. And he has this beautiful language here. Matthew records similar language in his gospel. About not worrying about the things of the world. Not be anxious for what they might eat or what they might wear or what they might drink. <coughs> Tells them about the grasses of the field. And, and, and the lilies, and how they're beautiful, yet they're cut down and thrown into a furnace. He says, how much more will he care about you, his own children? So really here in verses 33 and 34, he gives us the application for the parable. Remember, the parable is about this man who stored up for himself treasures on earth and was poor towards God if we could say it that way. Our Lord says he was not rich towards God. So in verse 33, he says, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself purses which do not wear out. 
an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. So he's picking up on, on the story of the parable, telling them, laying the, lay for yourself treasures in heaven. There, rust doesn't destroy, moth doesn't eat. It's for eternity. In verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You probably heard application about this as well. About where you spend your time and energy. If that's things of this world, then that's where your heart's going to be. If you spend your time on worldly pursuits, guess where your heart's going to be? The other side of that, if you spend your time on spiritual pursuits and heavenly pursuits and godly righteous pursuits, that's where your heart will be. And we run the risk of putting stock in worldly things. We're humans. We're comfortable in our lives. We like the things around us. The cars we drive, the clothes we have, the houses we live in, the money in the bank. We can become comfortable in those things. And it's sometimes difficult for us to draw the line between abundance and the blessings from God. You know, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So the things that we have, the things that we've been blessed with, are blessings from God. So where do we draw that line? Where do we draw the line in, in not tearing down our barns to build bigger barns? It's when we start to come to rely on those worldly things. Forgetting where they've come from. At that point, we're in danger. We're in the same danger as this rich fool who looked at the, the barns that he had, the storehouses that he had, and realized he's got more crops coming in. So what, what's he going to do? I'll tear down these barns and I'll build bigger barns and I'll be fine. And he doesn't realize that that night he's going to be in trouble. His life's going to be required of him. Then what's he going to do? What good did those barns do him then? When we start to rely on those worldly things, we're in danger. Notice back in the, in the parable, the first person pronouns that, that come through this. Look in verse 17. He began reasoning to himself. We'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. But listen to the first person pronouns, the eyes and the mys. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said this, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good things laid up many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. See all the, the first person pronouns there? I and my. We see a man here that was quite pleased with himself. He was quite uh, okay to talk about himself. And it's so much so that he reasoned with himself. He reasoned with himself, not others, but himself. You know, it, 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 it's kind of hard to be objective 
when you're on both sides of the argument, isn't it? If, I'm, if Kevin's re reasoning with Kevin, I've got some pretty good arguments, and Kevin's going to agree with that. I've got no second voice. It's just me arguing amongst myself. I'm pretty good much going to go along with what myself says. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we should make sure that our possessions are not dictating our lives. If we're truly honest with ourselves, yes, we have these blessings that come from our God, but keeping the correct perspective on those things will do us a world of good. Remembering where those things come from, coming down from the Father of lights. Our worldly blessings are important. The lives that we have, what we've been blessed with. It's important. It's good that we have these things so that we can also help those others in the world that may not have as much as we do. If we're honest with ourselves, we should be willing to reason with someone other than ourselves. I can reason with Kevin all day long. And I can make good arguments and go along with Kevin. But I need to look to others. I need to be willing to seek advice from others, especially those who are older, who have more experience in this world. Those are the people I need to seek advice from. And why? Because they have a different perspective. There's, there's certain things I think about me that the rest of the world doesn't. So even if I come to Bill and say, Bill, what do you think about this? He's going to have a different perspective on it than I have because he's outside of me. Now, I may not go along with his advice. I may think, I'm not going along with what Bill says. But he's given me another perspective into my life. He's told me something I probably didn't realize about myself. Be very careful about reasoning with yourself. You can fall into a trap like this man did. And if we're honest with ourselves, we should understand that our worldly possessions mean nothing when it's time to leave this world. This man who built these barns, who stored up these, these crops, it's not going to do him a bit of good. Because tonight he's going to die. His life is required of him this very night. We're not going to get one penny of interest from the money sitting in our accounts when we leave this world. It's going to go to somebody else. Just like God asking this man in the parable, who's going to own those things since you're going to die tonight? Not one penny of interest from our worldly investments are going to follow us into eternity. What will be beneficial to us are the things we have laid up in, in heaven. The treasures we have per, put there. The purse that we have made that will never deteriorate. Where moth will not eat or rust will not destroy. Those things in eternity, those are the things that matter. So when we see this parable, it's easy to see this rich man and his folly of tearing down his barns and building other barns. We need to make the application that we don't need to be guilty of that either. We don't need to be guilty of putting our stock in worldly things. Don't tear down our own barns to build bigger barns. Store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And those things will be in eternity. 
And the final point is what we've talked about already, is that where your heart is, or where your treasury is, there your heart will be also. Where we spend our time and our energy, that's where our heart is. That's where our focus is. So let's focus those things on heavenly pursuits. Let's focus our minds and our energies in pursuing the things of God the Father. If you have needs this evening, if you need to make something right, you can do that. We have opportunity. The sun hasn't quite set on this day yet. Make things right with God before it does. Whatever your needs might be, let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.